Hi there, welcome to Talking Cars with Consumer Reports. I'm Tom Mutchler. And he's Jake Fisher. And that's Gabe Shanhart. We have a rather interesting show for you this week. Lots of recently tested cars that have all done pretty well. But the big news is this. Consumer Reports has a new top-rated sedan. And I'd give you a second to guess which one it is, but silence is bad in a podcast. And actually, you probably wouldn't guess what it is. So, spoil the surprise. It is the Chevrolet Impala. The Impala? Yeah, we rented one, and we just loved it. Um, well, no, they... well, it was a free upgrade. <laughs> it was know, a free upgrade. We, we were going to have a Me we were going to have a Versa, and then they said, "Take the Impala." They redesigned the vehicle, and it was just—we've never seen anything like this that improved so much. I mean, the Impala has always been kind of, you know, well, I, I think you said it is the the car that the upgrade you don't want to get at the rental car company. Yep. Um, you know, it was kind of a big car, but didn't really do anything really that well. And the new version of it. Well, it's really, I mean, there's hardly a thing that it doesn't do well. I mean, it rides well. It's very quiet. It's roomy inside. It's got a huge trunk. The controls are easy. I yeah, mean, what a refreshing uh, kind of thing that is. And, and most contemporary cars' controls are just have become so complex. So it's nice to drive. It's nice to be in. Um, it's a really, if you're brand blind, you're going to love this car. I guess what's really impressive is it shows that GM learned. I mean, we've tested lots of cars on this this, this Epsilon platform. You know, the Malibu is a short wheelbase version. Uh, the Malibu doesn't have a big rear seat. Uh, the LaCrosse you can't see out of. The right. Cadillac XTS, also same platform. The ride isn't very good. All that stuff is fixed here. And uh, after the restructuring of, of, of GM, uh, there's no such thing as short shrifting the Chevy brand anymore. Because you, thank goodness, you don't have to make it worse intentionally than the Buick or the Oldsmobile or the Pontiac. Right, exactly. Those days are gone. You know, it, it's interesting too. You don't have the controls. I mean, they're not really. I mean, you know, obviously GM has had some missteps with what they where they've gone with Cadillac. But it doesn't short shrift you on it. It doesn't say, okay, well, they're just simple controls and they do well because you of that. You can't do anything, yeah. You can do a lot with it. Yep. I mean, it has the built-in functionality. You can stream your Pandora. You can use all these apps, but it's not, it doesn't blast you over the head with it. I still got, you know, I could I'll still function normally and I could still get to all that stuff without driving myself nuts. You know, the other big thing, in, in, in order for a car to score well on our test, it's got to put down the numbers too. You know, the car has to perform well. And, and a little tidbit is, it has the same exact tires as our Tesla. You know, they're the same Goodyear Eagle RSAs. They have the same, GM puts what's called a TPC code mm -hmm. on the side to, to give the designation of the tires. Same exact code. I mean, and the Impala benefits from, or maybe oh, yeah. maybe the Tesla benefits from the Impala. <laughs> well, they, they both benefit. So you've got a car that, I mean, this is a big car, and both of the cars are actually big. They're fairly heavy vehicles. They stop extremely well. They corner very, very well. Do great through avoidance maneuver mm -hmm. and, on, and on the track. Um, and also, you know, getting decent fuel economy too. So I mean, there's, there's, you put the money where it counts, and it, it delivers. Yeah, it, it shows. You know, the other thing is, is that when we first got the Impala, you know, we all drove and was like, wow, this is, this is really nice. But you know, there's sometimes where you go back to a car and it's like, oh boy. Uh, I, I, but I've been driving the Impala the last three days. Yeah, I've gone back to it three or four times, and, and every time it's it's still an impressive car. Yeah, it's still an impressive and, car. I mean, there's other cars that aren't. The Mazda 6, I go back to the Mazda 6, I'm like, boy, this is noisy. Not only that, uh, one another thing I'd say about the Impala is that it gets looks on the street. Yeah, um, it does. I mean, I went to a hardware store, and a bunch of... Uh, Harley Davidson riders were. Oh, really? Wow. Everybody looked at it. Is this a new Impala? Is this a new Impala? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been so long since people could be proud of owning an Impala, and, and, and now, now they can. Moving on, we got a comment on YouTube, uh, also speaking of Chevys, about our video, our first drive video of the Chevrolet Silverado. Uh, this is what Thomas wrote. How much money did you get from GM for doing this review? The things well, you... Oh, we could answer that. Oh, no, I'm sorry, you're not done. <laughs> the things you're talking about are things the Ram Laramie has had since 2009. And you have a review of a GM truck which is brand new and no review from the Ram which is out since November or December 2012. I really liked you, but now I know you get paid for this. First off, Thomas, we like you too. That's important to say. But now we got a review of the Ram. But the Ram is very, a very impressive truck. I mean, it has coil springs, it rides really well. It feels like actually a really luxury car. I mean, it right. feels like someone bolted the bed and the cab in that car <laughs> in a good way. And uh, there's none of that snappiness that you get in the ride of other pickup trucks. Uh, the interior is a major upgrade now. The Chrysler Uconnect screen was really user-friendly. It's a nice truck. The only yeah. thing is a big step up. So it's a luxury truck. I think that, that really says it's it says That's what right. we all call it, the luxury you know, it's, truck. It's, it's quiet, it's refined, it's uh, really very impressive. And uh, what's really going to be intriguing about that is, is the diesel coming, to, coming yeah, through Yeah, you, I mean, people have wanted light-duty diesel in trucks for, for, for so long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a great truck, and you could get and you know we've driven the one with with the uh, the eight-speed transmission and the 3.6, which is a really nice powertrain. But um, you know, the only thing is, I'm sure a lot of people want to rush out and buy a Ram because it's so nice. It's like maybe you should wait for the diesel and see how that does. It's been taking a while for them to get the diesel <coughs> out in the Grand Cherokee, but you know, and in fact, this is why it took a while for us to get to the Ram is we wanted to wait for that eight-speed. That eight-speed transforms the truck. I mean, it, it it just, it's, it's, it's a wonderful transmission, but we had to wait for it. Yeah, shifts are imperceptible. It just makes that, um, with the engine, makes it so effortless. Uh, it, it's just a feeling of uh, abundance of power and no effort. It's wonderful. It, yeah, it really is. Uh, the big question is going to be, does the Silverado beat it? You know? We'll see. We'll find out soon enough. Yeah. I mean, I uh, really like the uh, easy gate of the Silverado. That's really slick. Yeah, we're, we're kind of surprised Ram didn't you know, put an assist in the tailgate. Right. You know, one actually thing that the, the YouTube commenter notes on it and is clever, is when Ram came out in 2009 with that, that coil spring redesign, they had you know, the heated steering wheel and all the foo-foo options. And Chevy actually had an ad you know, saying, you know, real men don't need a heated steering wheel in a truck. And what's in the new Silverado? Apparently, real men need a heated steering wheel. And a lot of USB ports. A oh. lot of those. <laughs> yeah. Real men need lots. The, the new Silverado yes. has a lot of USB. <laughs> There's a lot of USB. Which is nice. You know, it's, it's, it's really funny because, I mean, you know, we, we've, we've driven some vehicles and it's like, why is there not a USB port in this car? And it's really an annoyance. It's like, they're all in the Silverado. They're every one of them. And it, it's great. I mean, I think as time goes on, people are going to be using them. They're going to have multiple people with multiple devices. And it's a pretty cheap way to add some pretty nice functionality for people. Yep. Next thing is, you know, we just had a month this month of very impressive cars. Uh, next thing we looked at was the Kia Forte. Yes, uh, Kia Forte, another car that uh, you wouldn't associate with the nameplate that this oh, is Oh, you're right, really like, like the Impala. I'm not going to buy an exactly. Impala. I'm not buying a Kia Forte. Right, I mean, the public perception, this is like, oh, Kia Forte. I mean, come on, this is like a cheap car. But it's not you know cheap what? Yeah. <laughs> it, <clears throat> it feels like a grown-up car, a really mature, substantial kind of a car. I mean, it rides well. It's pretty quiet. And it's another one of those things, uh, Hyundai and Kia kind of like play this game. 
Hyundai launches first, they're first in the market with the same platform car, then Kia comes yeah, the, the Elantra, and refines the, the, it. Yeah, the, the Porte is built right. on the Elantra platform, it shares a 28 liter. Yeah, but, but just, like, just exactly what, what Gabe said. It's like, that's, that's what Kia has become. It's like Hyundai launches these, these really fine vehicles, and then a few months goes by, and Kia, they work out a few of the bugs, and then Kia comes out, and perhaps gets that even a better vehicle, perhaps with a better reliability, too, in some yeah. cases we've seen. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. it, but Kia and Hyundai, although they have the same corporate parent, they, they leapfrog each other. They're, there's this internal rivalry that, that spurs them to do better. And, and we saw that in, in our next car, the, the Hyundai Santa Fe. It is now our top scoring midsize SUV. It has beaten the Toyota Highlander. Yeah, it's an impressive vehicle. Um, <clears throat> no question about it. Uh, I mean, it rides well, it uh, handles responsibly, it's really slick, quiet, nice, uh, slick powertrain and uh, gets good fuel economy, uh, the best in class. Yeah, 20 and miles per gallon, usually you get about 18. Right, I mean, the interior is extremely functional, I mean, except the unintuitive access to the third row seat, and uh, controls are easy, and it's a really nice driving car. Yeah, one thing that they, the Hyundai's and the Kia's, they seem to do really well, is that they put a lot of interior technology into the vehicles, and it's, it, it works well. You know, it's not like they're just like figuring out how we're right. going to put the Pandora in there and here's a button up there or something. No, I mean, they, they were able to work it out and they, they kind of have this competitive, you know, uh, they're, they're ahead of the game, really, you know, when it comes to it. I don't know if they're leaning on LG or they're leaning on I Samsung, yeah. but um, they work it out and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you need to have like the super expensive version of it. You know, you could get a Forte, or you know, and you could wind up with some really good functionality. But it's also, well. you know, you look at that Santa Fe. Um, our Santa Fe costs $36,000. It's, it's, it's a stylish car. You know, it's got heated rear seats. It has all sorts of stuff. And you look at what that buys in like a Honda Pilot and, you know, you get this boxy thing that's kind of depressing. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's, a, it's an appealing car. It is, and one other thing is that it, it strikes a nice balance of size and maneuverability. It doesn't feel as bulky as like uh, a couple of weeks ago as in the Nissan Pathfinder. It feels so wide and so cumbersome. The Pathfinder just doesn't drive well. Right, and the Santa Fe, I mean, it's, it's pretty manageable in parking and uh, urban situations. Yes, yeah, the same thing for the Kia Sorento, you know, mm -hmm. which is the same platform. You know, it's just a really nice size. Hyundai, though, makes it a little confusing because there's the Santa Fe three-row, and then there's the Santa Fe Sport, which is the two-row with the right. four-cylinder. So I get a feeling a bunch of people are going to hear what we say here. Santa Fe, any Santa Fe is good. Yeah, that's an important distinction because only the, the one, the, the Santa Fe, Plain Santa Fe, the long wheelbase, seven passenger Santa Fe is the one that excels and uh, that comes exclusively with a V6. The Sport is a, a different kind of car. It's a shorter wheelbase, it's a shorter car. It doesn't have the same functionality in the same room. Still good, but not outstanding. One frustration is that to get a rear camera, you need to load this thing up. You need to get like about $5,000 worth of options. Yeah, the luxury package or whatever package with a navigation, and you still don't get a sunroof, unfortunately. Yeah, th th there's some odd option structuring. I want to actually, going back to the Impala, one other thing is the one shortfall of the Impala is rear visibility. Mm -hmm. If you buy an Impala and it's a really nice car, get any visibility aid package you can. Blind spot, the rear camera, cross traffic alert, get all that. that or just make sure you're passing everyone and you don't get passed. That's right, if you only go <laughs> forward. No, that works. That's okay. I like that track. Speaking of another Chevrolet, and this one just visited the track for a while, uh, for reasons we'll explain it a bit. The Chevy Spark EV, that another car that we had absolutely no expectations for. 
Yeah, that was really a surprise and a pleasant surprise. I mean, the electrification of the Chevy Spark completely transforms that crappy little runabout from from a noisy and bumpy kind of a clunky car into something that feels sporty and quick and quiet and effortless and with all the technology inside. And the, the battery doesn't eat up any space, uh, any of the functionality for rear seat or cargo that you had in the original Spark. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing packaging feat because it's such a small car to fit the battery in there. But I mean, it has 400 pound-feet of torque. Yeah. Boy, it's like an attack poodle. You know, you just, <laughs> you know, it, it, it torque steers like crazy, you know, if you have your foot in it. But Small cars with lots of power, good. They, they we, generally we broke are. that story right there. <laughs> <laughs> there. There you have it. More power, more better. Yes. You know, and I, I guess the shame of it is, is it's only for sale in California and Oregon. Yeah, I think a lot of people would benefit from it uh, beyond those two states. Yeah, because it, it's cheap. I mean, the, the sticker price is 27000 but you get eight to ten grand in incentives. Right. And I think they're leasing, that one's leasing for under 200 a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. They're being, they're being realistic, though. I mean, all these you know dedicated electrics with limited range are only appealing to a certain amount of people, and they're not selling in, in big numbers. I mean, do you think they're saturating the market? I don't think there's a whole bunch of market to begin with. Well, it's, it's an artificial market, isn't it? Because of sure. California, the California mandate, you need to make electric cars to sell other cars in California. Maybe they just need to put the one port turbo into this and those spark, and that would be a good time with a stick shift. Oh. That would be a bigger market. Actually, speaking of stick shifts, we got a question from Facebook uh, from Kevin Daly. Why didn't you test the new Ford Focus with manual transmission? You tested two models, both with automatic, then downgraded the car because the automatic transmission didn't work well. Well, actually, we did test it with a manual because the innards of that box are a manual transmission. O only the control interface is different. It's a, co a computer that does the clutch for you. I get a sinking feeling that's not what he's getting. Yeah, the point is the computer's got the problem. And, and the truth is, is the manual transmission does transform a lot of vehicles. And if I had my way, we'd test manual transmissions for a lot of vehicles because they do make the cars really enjoyable to drive and can really transform the vehicles in terms of the drivability, the enjoyment, the acceleration, the fuel economy. Um, the, the issue is that not many people are buying them anymore. No, take rates right. under 10%? <sighs> you know, yeah, and it's, it's frustrating. 7%. I mean, you know, if I'd, if I'd my way and, and we had all the money in the world to test everything we want, I mean, we'd absolutely be testing stick shift Mazdas, stick shift uh, mm. Focuses. Um, um, yeah, well, I want a fusion with a, a 1.6 turbo and a, and a stick That'd shift, probably a very car. nice, nice, uh, nice car. car. If they build one, it's not just on paper. I think I've seen one online somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, this question sounds a little bit like my car would have done better in your test if you had done this. And I mean, the Focus, no matter, you know, we have driven a Focus with a stick shift, and it's fun. It's nice, you know, not, nice not, not just the ST. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, the Focus still has a small back seat, still has some wonky controls. And it's even fun to drive in terms of ride and handling, even with a not-so-good automatic. That's true. I mean, no, no matter what, it's a very grown-up car. And actually, the, the SFE version we tested did score, it scores really well. Hopefully they work out. The problems with that automatic that you call a manual. Yes. I mean, from working it out so much, I think that they lost the fuel economy gain that was the intention of going with that kind of transmission. I mean, that's the challenge of, of right. making those transmissions really palatable to, to the American market. I mean, right. they're popular in Europe. People are willing to put up with 
a manual-like driving experience. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. I mean, if you grew up on manuals, then you say, okay, well, it does the work for me. I'm fine with it. If you grew up with an automatic, you say, well, what's that? I mean, it's like vibrating and the, the clunking. I don't know. Problem is that even, even if you're kind of like you know not that great at driving stick, you could usually drive stick better than that. You know, so I mean, <laughs> it's not the work of it; it's actually the fun of it, and it's a whole different mindset. And whether or not you want to be driven around or you want to drive, so it's a decision that people need to make. I think we like driving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, we wouldn't mind having that third clutch pedal. So that's going to wrap up this episode. We thank you for taking the time to listen to us. We'll see you again. Thank you. <laughs>